Hello and welcome to Data Center Unplugged from ProAct. In this episode, we'll be exploring how organizations are using IT to hit net zero targets. Climate change, changing attitudes, and the higher cost of energy are bringing sustainability higher up the IT agenda. And we'll shed light on the CO2 and cost savings that are being achieved today through sustainable IT decisions, as well as the scale of the problem facing the industry. We'll cover what you can do to understand the impact of your IT estate and what options are available to help you save costs and reduce emissions in one go. Our podcast panel today includes a trio of gurus from Proax technical services team, Andy Hale, referred to as Halo, Andy Smith, referred to as Smithy, and our guest host and now familiar voice, Nathan Byrne. Nathan, over to you. It's it's interesting that we pick those two uh, two subjects really because there's a bit of a conundrum that I guess companies are being driven to be more sustainable and cyber is forcing companies to store more copies of the data, have DR and offline copies, immutable copies. So effectively, it's driving the sales of more equipment, which then counters the sustainability challenge. So it's quite an interesting conundrum at the moment. But what we're seeing in the industry is that nearly all organizations have got net zero targets, net zero strategies. And from our experience, that most uh, are only really just starting on that journey and starting to to tackle this. What we have seen is there's a notable change sort of in the last uh, 12 months. We're now seeing sustainability questions in ITTs uh, and supplier questions now being brought into sort of some of our conversations with customers. Um, I guess the big thing we do see, though, is 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 that um, what were aspirational targets are now moving to be more science-based targets. We see a lot more discussions around prove it. How are you actually being more sustainable? What is the impact? Um, so we're starting to see that a lot more. And, of course, customers also want a badge. They want something they can talk about to show they're doing the right thing. So you're seeing things like B Corp or Carbon Trust certifications as part of their business collateral. So I think we're just starting to see a bit of a step change with uh, with this. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. It's been within the last 12 months. Uh, Smith, are you, are you seeing this? Are you seeing that driving change? Yeah, no, I am. I am seeing that as well. It's actually started when we were looking at... Um, Coming into uh, introducing a verticalization market within for for legal uh, for legal customers, and it was something that we really really started to stumble upon that customers are definitely starting to make more of an effort. And and B Corp was the one that came to mind. And Andy just mentioning it there, I could almost see a situation where it's a bit like Cyber Essentials. You know, like customers are only going to buy from each other or be in that ecosystem together if they've both got that badge. So I think the badge thing is really really relevant. Uh, other than that, I think, you know, there's going to be there or there have been recently actually changes in legislation. You know, when you look at and I need to get the acronym right here. But when you look at, um, you know, stuff that's going on in Europe at the moment and the corporate sustainability reporting directive. And yes, you might say that's Europe, but inevitably, you know, eventually it will come into the UK. And actually, there are some rules around 2028 when all companies will have to report their um, their carbon emissions. So that's driving it. There'll be fines for non-compliance. But I think mainly it's around, again, an attitude change. You know, people want to be seen to be doing the right thing. We, we need to be buying and disposing of our IT waste responsibly. And that actually comes into something we'll talk about further on is that when we're talking about retaining and attracting talent, some people are going to be basing their decisions on whether they join an organization based on the posture that they are around their energy consumptions or their, or their carbon emissions. Um 
And ultimately, you know, tough times for a lot of people in this country at the moment, same for organizations. And when times are hard, it makes you think about what you're spending your money on. It makes you think about how you're doing your things. And actually, these go hand in hand with sustainability. You know, I think if we can make people more efficient, you know, they get a better experience. We save some money along the way. And if that the byproduct of that is actually doing the right thing for the planet, I think that's great. So I think that's where people are at the moment. I think it would be very naive for us to kind of think, you know, that everyone's going to be interested in you know, saving the planet. I think that's quite emotive. But I think, you know, when you think about people, pennies, planet, it and you sort of think of the correlation between the two, I think it's a really strong message. I think you, you touched on a good point there about when economic times are hard. I know I know we mentioned inflation at the beginning, but I think we'd be remiss of us not to mention, you know, the recent changes in energy costs. But, you know, from that point of view, Halo, you know, is that feeding into organizations' considerations and, and how much of an impact is it having given the current pricing? Mm. It's a good question. I, I don't think it did to start with. Um, um, I know we looked from our own managed services and how much our energy bills were on, on the back of that. And that triggered us to start looking at how could we help customers sort of on that, that journey as well. But when you look at the cost of energy, I think it's somewhere in the region of about 40% uplift in cost of energy over the last three years, which is just massive. And I think from a personal perspective, I think we've all felt it in our wallets, as, as Smithy says, um, but from a business perspective, a lot of businesses were shielded initially because they were locked into fixed price tariffs. But most of those, if not all of those, have now ended. So businesses are really starting to feel uh, feel the pinch. Um, so absolutely, just as we are at home, businesses are, are looking at how do they reduce the energy spend as well as sort of the, the savings on, on carbon. But there's another thing that I spoke to a few customers about now, which is energy security. So we saw last winter um, the uh, sort of predictions were that we were going to run out of energy and that people were being asked to use uh, less energy at peak times and things. The same is expected again this winter, maybe not quite so severe, but actually how do you protect yourselves from energy security and how do you make sure that you can still operate your data centers, your core IT equipment? It's, 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 quite, a, it's quite a challenge for, for a lot of businesses, especially if you're providing sort of critical national infrastructure and things like that is now a consideration, is now part of those conversations. So I guess where we're leading with this is that being more efficient, using less energy, um, not only does it do good for the planet, but it lowers your overall business costs. That in turn then can help increase profitability. Uh, so it really is a, it's a win-win for, for everybody. It's interesting you touch that it's more than just savings. It's about the security and how do you operate um, I think that's really telling because we a lot of times in the industry focused on the numbers, you know, how much can we save? And it's interesting to see there is it's, the messages are going beyond that now. Smithy, are you seeing organizations actively embracing the change and, and how are they doing so? You mentioned some some at the beginning around talking about organizations that demonstrate their staff and their customers their responsibility, but how is that feeding into Larger, larger organizational change. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think some are, some aren't. I think that's probably the really, the really quick answer. And again, we've hosted um, some sessions on this, uh, some breakfast briefings with quality food. I have to say, um, but yeah, cu customers. You know, when you ask them, and, and I like to play dumb in these kind of situations to get people talking. And I was sort of saying, does everyone understand? You know, what their uh, net zero goals are, what their aspirations are, or does everyone understand what scope one, two, and three emissions are? And surprisingly even though the, the actual session was around sustainability, no one in the room really knew the answers to these questions. So I think going back to our original point is that they want to be 
be seen to doing the right thing. But most organizations, yes, they might have some targets, but they don't have a plan. So I think that's the really crucial thing is about starting even even small things and marginal gains uh, over the next few years. But again, you know, if done right, that's where you're going to really start to get your your employees on board and, and probably attract the right kind of talent, certainly the new generation that are coming through. I mean, interestingly, I think we've seen, you know, higher education. I think this is a real, uh, a real talking point. They're all very close to each other. And I think that they've even started to publish league tables, which rank the top universities based on their sustainability achievement. So of course, when it starts to get competitive, when you start to, when you're competing in the market for students, you've got to be doing something different as a differentiator. And, and from a prior perspective, you know, we want to do the same. Um, yeah, you know, I've already mentioned, you know, younger generations, they want to be, they want to be doing the right thing. You know, when we see the media coverage, Greta Thornburg, we were joking about actually before we started the recording, but um, I think she was arrested in London again yesterday with the don'ts, with the stop oil people. Um, but again, you know, that kind of media coverage, and I think that kind of fixation about actually what are we doing in the future? What are we doing about the future generations to come is eventually will start to drive the direction with organizations. Maybe not now, but as they start to come through into more senior positions, they will start to sort of, you know, um, like take the baton on, I think. Thanks, Bithy. I think, you know, you touched on a relevant point there for me, which is there is lots of coverage. There's lots of media. There's lots of LinkedIn posts. There is lots to cover. And and with that, you know, invariably comes complexity. So, you know, without putting you on the spot, Halo, can you give me an idea of the scale of the problem the IT industry is facing? It's, it's interesting. There's there's so much um, sort of uh, hype around sort of the facts and figures. There's also some greenwashing in this uh, side of things as well. So uh, I guess the facts and figures, the, the sort of headline things that, that I've seen quite a lot and people like to quote is the IT industry is a bigger carbon emitter than the airline industry, which is huge. And when you how they measure that is is anybody's guess. But the reality is that what we're talking about is IT is a massive consumer of energy and therefore a massive emitter of, uh, of, of carbon. The, the difference with the airline industry, obviously, is we can't, not yet anyway, run planes on green energy. I know they're looking at biofuels and things like that. But IT kit, actually, we can run a lot of that on solar and wind and, and, and green energy. So there's a bit of a difference there. But again, the facts and figures that we can substantiate are that data centers themselves across the world, and there's, there's some um, some backing to, to the science behind this, but data centers themselves are using about 2% of the world's energy, which is, which is absolutely massive, but it's growing massively as well. So that's estimated to be between 5 and 10% over the next five years. So how do we provide this thirst for increased energy? And that's just data centers, and obviously not everything else uh, is taken into account that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. But overall, we've seen a 400% increase in data center energy requirements since 2015. And we've seen sort of real public cases of where this has become a problem now. So um, I think it was 2019, um, Ireland, the grid in Ireland wasn't able to provide any more energy to uh, Azure and the AWS data centers based over there. So they had to stop expansion plans of the big cloud providers. So they've made tax breaks and made it attractive for them to come there with the technical skills and capability. But now the grid can't provide enough, enough power. And they had to stop building new houses in the areas around where the data centers were because the grid just couldn't sustain more power. So it's, it's becoming a, a real problem in terms of where to locate data centers and the power consumption those data centers uh, require. Can I just pick on a, a phrase you use there, greenwashing? Are you able to explain a little more about what greenwashing is? 
Okay, so, so greenwashing is where people are, are claiming to be green and claiming to uh, sort of put themselves forward as sort of advocates of, uh, of sustainability, but actually aren't doing that much. It's more marketing uh, material than, than reality. So I've seen it a lot with the cloud providers. So uh, I won't call any out specifically, but you see a lot of stats and figures from the public cloud providers about how green they are, but then they omit things like their scope three emissions. So they omit their supply chain upstream downstream sort of emissions from those facts so you can't be green if you don't count in terms of what your products go on to do or or sort of the stuff you're purchasing in in the first place so greenwashing is is about um sort of living up to your expectations i guess and and making sure that we deliver what what we promise so we're really carefully in a lot of the stuff that we're doing as a business to try not greenwash um, but there is a lot of misinformation out there, I guess. Thanks, Halo. I mean, I've seen it on LinkedIn, and it seems a very emotive subject, which is why I just wanted to clarify that that phrase. So you mentioned a, a fair amount of facts there around the increase in power and you know the the issues that Ireland were having. Smithy, you know, without without setting you up with a with a large question, you know, what do you see are the cases for such big numbers currently? I mean, I think this is just something that's been building over the last 10 years in the sense that data is the massive problem. You know, we're all hooked on it. Everything becomes more accessible. You know, when you think about your home life, you know, text messages, every photo that you take stays on your phone or stays in the cloud. I know my partner, literally about 100,000 photos, you know, she, and I just, she can't look at them all, um, but she wants them there. She wants to be able to access them at any time. And that kind of attitude is the attitude that people have been bringing into the workplace. You know, very few people delete things. You know, we keep every email, every text message, every every document, every version of a document. And that's only going to continue. Um, I think when you look at how data is being managed, and um, and when you look at the advances of what we're doing around other aspects, you know, when we bring AI in, you know, actually people are going to want to keep that data because at some point they might be able to monetize it and exploit it and make something of it. So there's a real reluctance to get rid of it. Actually, a lot of customers don't really know which bits they can get rid of, so they keep it anyway because it's all just part of one big silo of storage. You know, what can we archive? What can we back up? What can we push to the cloud? No one really knows. There's not that element of visibility, which is something that, again, you know, we're engaging with customers on to help them understand their data landscape. And then you've got the other things. You know, you've got to you've got to think about the devices that we use. A lot of us employees and people at home, we want that aesthetic experience of when we unbox something new. We want a new shiny thing. Um, and of course, you know, that makes it, you know, the the demands there around manufacturing the precious materials that are consumed you know again is only increasing and vendors also they or manufacturers they build in obsolescence so if you think about it you know i get a new iphone every 2 years because i just want a new iphone every 2 years so again not a very good example to set based on the fact that we're talking about sustainability today but then if you think about it you know who's got an iphone here that's had it for more than 4 years you know they become pretty unusable the battery life depletes and deteriorates so at the end of the day you know you've got to start to change your device in order to be efficient um, so I think, you know, that is definitely something, again, and the legal firms that we were talking to, interestingly, you know, there's actually, I think people like Vodafone, they're bringing in sort of reused devices that have been refurbished, but still have a nice box with them. So the user gets that out of the box experience where it feels like a new product, but actually it's refurbished hardware so that that circular economy element starts to come into play. So I think it, it's really interesting. And interestingly as well, as part of that, you know, our partner Equinix, who we partner with for data centers, got some great messaging around sustainability 
activity. The statistic there is actually over the last, and this is something I picked up on, over the last five to 10 years, the power consumption has remained pretty constant, but for the work and the density of work that we're doing. So we're actually doing more work now based on the power consumption. And that's you know, evolving you know, technology, Moore's law, CPU power. But again, the storage is the thing that's really starting to eat into that power consumption, something that we do need to do something about, You know, creating these massive sort of data landfills where none of us really know what's in them. We just chuck everything in there all the time. You know, And that's a risk. That's a, that's a cyber risk. It's a cost risk. It's an operational risk. So it is something that um, customers need to get uh, get to grips with. I thought it was interesting you touched on AI there because I remember when GDPR came in and everyone decided to keep nothing because they weren't sure whether they get fined. And now AI is driving the opposite. Everyone's keeping everything in case they can monetize it. So it, it's a strange situation to be in again. Just just to add, add something to that, I'll, I'll just pause. But in terms of uh, what Andy uh, said there around circular economy and recycling devices and refurbishing equipment, me and Andy had a really interesting meeting a couple of weeks ago now with with a, a partnership that we're forming with a recycling firm. So they are taking things like the cables and granulating them to strip the copper out of the cables. They are using some really cool technology developed by the University of Cambridge to um, let bacteria eat the precious metals off the motherboards. They know they can't recycle the motherboards because they're fiberglass, but this bacteria will eat the gold and the precious metals off, and then they can strip that back out and then put it back for reuse. So some real clever innovations coming out now in terms of how you can be uh, sort of more sustainable in your supply chain right down to end of life and, and equipment disposal. So, yeah, that, that was quite an interesting uh, interesting day out, that one. It was. And actually something just you reminded me, what I thought was very cool, and I think this is quite embryonic, but them buying into an organization's IT spend at the beginning so that they get access to the equipment at the end. So they were almost part funding either a design phase, an assessment phase, or even part of the actual purchase by buying in and almost putting a stake into the investment so that they got guaranteed access to the hardware coming back out at the end of the term. So again, these are the things. This, I mean, that's innovative, right? That There's not many people that, I, I mean, that was the first time I'd certainly heard of it. And I think customers are the same. It's always about, and I think as, as we evolve, cyber, cloud adoption, you know, AI and machine learning and sustainability, you know, all very linked, but at the same time, customers don't really know, understand the art of the possible, you know, and that again, you know, I think we're going to come onto it in almost next is that that's the value of an MSP or a partner like Proact is that we can bring this knowledge and whether you end up working with us or not, you know, creating that partnership together around, you know, knowledge sharing, thought provoking exercises is actually a really key part to understanding how you build your strategy. That bit of conversation is really telling to see that there are organizations that are making use and, and being able to see the future of what's necessary to, to recycle and reuse. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, Sustainability for me has been in the news for a while. We, we see it everywhere. It's prevalent. I do wonder that many organizations have strategies and many, you know, mission statements around it, but you know, without, without sounding cynical, is it lip service? You know, what are we missing? What are we what are we trying to take forward? And I, I suppose this question is to both of you. I guess um, sort of what, what we've seen, and we talked earlier about the, the step change that we've seen in sort of the last 12 months. And 
initially, when you read sustainability strategies, they don't generally call out IT as a major consumer. What you do see is they're talking about insulating buildings, switching to LED lighting, reducing corporate travel. And don't get me wrong, all of those things really have a sort of a big impact. But actually, in the corner of your office building there, you've probably got a data center that's consuming 10,000 homes worth of, uh, worth of energy just sat there burning away. And because it's out of sight, out of mind, a lot of the procurement people, a lot of the sustainability offices won't even know it's there until they look at the energy bill and go, what's consuming all of this? So energy um, in technology and the consumption of, uh, of, of energy through the use of technology is, is in definitely in the top three, if not the top one of most uh, consumers of energy in most uh, organizations. Uh, I think I, it's funny because I've worked for organizations in my past history where we've put solar panels on buildings and we've, we've done energy efficient drives. Um, but yet one of the things that used to confuse me when I was uh, a younger engineer was when you were talking about virtualizing workloads onto something like VMware or Hyper-V, there was lots of energy savings even back then, but they were, they were never considered because they were different areas. It was facilities versus IT. We're not bothered. You know, Smithy, is that still something that's prevalent today? Yeah, I think so. And again, again, some yes, some no. Um, yeah, it's the virtualization thing's funny actually because I remember going through. I was joking with Halo when we were talking about some presentation graphics and things. I remember when um, back in two thousand and five, when most companies really started to adopt VMware and shared storage. Um, we used to put on proposals, you know, how many cars off the road, how many trees, what was the power saving, and it's almost like it's come back round again for the next phase. You know, IT is very circular, isn't it? It sort of you know comes in waves and it's the pattern but yeah it's interesting again because i've been sat with many organizations over the last few months where you know we're really trying to get into the depths of you know where they are with their sustainability and, and it strategy in general um and actually it's very common to hear well we're not that bothered about the power saving estate management pay for that you know we're not responsible for the bill um, but then again, recently, I had another conversation with a customer that had said that to me about f- four months ago. And they said, actually, we've made great friends with the state ma- estate management. We've told them what we're doing and actually we're going to save them some money. And actually, that's really built that relationship then within that organization. And it's funny that you've kind of opened a different door. Um, yeah. So I think th- that's probably, a, as with anything, you know, the business and IT are often disconnected. The business is setting strategy and making decisions. IT are the ones that are delivering it and bringing those communication channels back together and actually letting the business or the organization treat the IT team as a strategic partner rather than a service provider can only be a good thing. You get better visibility of projects and actually the delivery doesn't feel like such hard work and it's not just lobbed over the fence. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think, yeah, there is definitely a disconnect there. And if you put yourselves in the shoes of an IT manager, um, I think they all need to become equipped when they uh, when they start the job with a crystal ball because they're asked to make strategy choices for the next five years. So you're going to buy a storage platform or a compute platform or a cloud platform. What's that going to cost over five years? And the way budgets are typically structured sort of forces them down that path. So 
if you're going to buy a new, let's say a new storage platform, you're going to over-egg it. This is a new compute platform. You're going to over-egg it. You need to make sure that you're not going back in two years time and saying, I didn't ask for enough budget and then there's out of budget spend. So that in itself and those attitudes are also driving this sort of purchase lots of kit that you might not need. So it's quite wasteful in terms of the way uh, sort of that that works. And again, part of the changes we're seeing is, is people are starting to be more aware of that um, and starting to change behaviours. So I think we've we've talked about how it's a high priority from the organisations. I think we I think we agree there. I think there's we've talked about some of the facts and figures that we're seeing in the industry, why it's important, and and you know truthfully some around the gaps that we're seeing. You now, Halo, how do you suggest organisations get started on tackling it? Because it, it seems massive. It, it seems almost insurmountable. It, it is, and uh, I guess that is some of the challenges that we see in a lot of the conversations I'm having and, and the team are having now with, with customers is how do you uh, sort of bite off bite-sized pieces? How do we tackle this in, in easy-to-consume pieces? And how do we demonstrate that those savings are actually real and and that things that we promise are actually happening? And when you break it down, um, normally the first conversation is around the data center itself. We've seen um, hospitals, NHS facilities, where the data center is like a, an old hospital ward. I've been in one where there's windows down one side. They've got frosted glass, but there's windows with the sun coming through. So you think about how how efficient is that data center? IT kit we know generates a lot of heat, and then you put a big air conditioning chiller or multiple chillers in there to keep it cool. You've got the sun coming through the window. That that's not a good use. You're cooling the sun, which you're, you're never going to win that. Never going to win that battle. Um, but more generally, if you've got a, an office uh, complex that hasn't been built with a purpose-built data center in mind. It's, it's common knowledge that that is not going to be the most efficient way of running things. And we measure data center efficiency with this metric called PUE, which is the amount of energy needed to power the facility versus the amount of power needed to operate the kit. And normally the big consumer there is your chillers and, and just the, the general operating of the building, the lighting, etc. But the chillers are a big consumer. And we see commonly that we see PUE of, of around two for non-purpose built, so repurposed office complexes and things like that, which means that you're paying for double effectively for the amount of power needed to operate the kit as what's needed to run the facility. So that in itself is hugely wasteful. So the first question we ask customers is, do you know your PUE? Do you have the ability to measure how much power draw is on the equipment versus the amount of power going into the building? And normally, customers will say no unless they've got smart monitoring on the PDUs and things. But we can do some rudimentary uh, metrics with that. You can measure data sheet figures from the equipment, and normally you'll know what your electricity bill is. So you can normally get a rough feel for, for a lot of organizations just by using those high-level metrics. So the first thing is to measure what you've got, and then you can start to know how big or not the problem is. So assuming data center are a problem, um, the question then comes is, do, uh, is the things you can do to make that more efficient? Um, are the things like blocking out the windows in my hospital example that will save you a, a fortune in energy costs? But also then, um, do you even need your own data center? We see a lot of DR data centers of customers that maybe were their data center three or four, maybe five years ago, that they've moved to something new and shiny, but they've still got the old DR one there that is just a copy of the data. It's a cyber recovery version. It's a disaster recovery version of, of that data. So do they actually need to run that themselves? Could they outsource that to a data center provider? 
obviously the data center providers are, are very good at running really optimal uh, DCs. They're very good at running everything on green energy, and they will run that incredibly efficiently. So the first question really is: is 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 do you know what your what your current PUE is and the efficiency of your data center? And then challenge yourselves in terms of: do you actually need to run that that data center in the first place? So that, that's they're kind of the first things with the data center. And then the next thing we we start to tackle is the equipment that's inside the data center. So we talked earlier about VMware optimization assessments. So we used to do loads of these um, back in the day when we were converting customers to run from on-premise to uh, to VMware. Uh, and we did these optimization assessments to show how much they could save, as, as you alluded to, Nathan. Um, these are now coming uh, back to the forefront again, circular IT, et cetera. Um, and what we're doing now is to show how much we could shrink that footprint down. So if you're an IT manager and you've bought five years worth of equipment up front, um, you probably don't look at it uh, in terms of how utilized it is unless you have a performance problem. Um, what VMware and the optimization assessment we offer actually do is look at how much of that equipment is utilized. Could you switch some of that off? So we did an example um, quite recently with a customer where we could turn off a third of their servers. They're just we're using a third less, uh, or we could switch it off and use a third less than they actually required. So immediately, in turn that into carbon savings. That's a third less electricity and a third less carbon uh, sort of needed uh, to to power and run and operate that infrastructure. So you could just turn things off if they're not needed in a VMware environment. And then, I guess the last sort of big area that we tackle really is on the storage estate. So most data centers today are still running traditional hard drives. And if you look, compare that to the consumer world, as Smithy mentioned before, that your laptops and things have all switched to SSDs. You don't get traditional hard drives anymore. So consumerization of that market has really changed it. Now, within the data center, most are still running traditional hard drives because they're more cost economical to run and operate for large capacities. But actually, the, the reality of that is now that solid state drives, flash drives are getting near to the cost per terabyte of traditional hard drives. So over the last 12 or 18 months, the economics of this have all shifted. So now you can almost get to the same cost per terabyte of a flash drive as you can a traditional hard drive. But more importantly, back to the sustainability discussion, they use a fraction of the energy. So actually shifting things across to flash drives now becomes economically viable, but it also is is a great way to achieve some really good carbon savings. We did a, 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 a assessment of a university customer and they've got about three petabytes of storage on traditional hard drives. And we just ran a very quick, it was a data sheet based assessment. Uh, we, we ran that, we, we reckon we could save them about 30% of their carbon of their data center just by switching to a flash based storage system. And when we equated that to the power savings, it was about £120,000 of power savings every year. So although the all-flash equivalent of the storage platform was a bit more expensive than what they've been used to, um, the power savings alone more than covered that cost. So it tackled both the carbon and the uh, the energy costs inside the data center. So they're, they're sort of the key areas that, that we're tackling at the moment. And there's another more practical thing there, isn't there, around de density. So if you're paying per rack or per U, 
you know, being able to squeeze three petabytes into what as what we're saying, six U probably now, you know, that is a huge, huge saving. In fact, I was just looking at some t- statistics that we use and just for people for context, I always think context and metrics are really useful, but people are probably thinking, well, I don't really know. I can't get it in my head, like the difference between what I use at home and what's in the data center. So a typical household consumes around 10 to 15,000 kilowatt hours of energy a year. One rack in a data center can consume 87,000. So if we're talking to an organization about reducing from, I don't know, five racks down to one, that's a massive saving, you know, and that and that probably gives you an idea of the scale of what we can do with modern technology now. Modernizing that data center, being clever about how we buy shared platforms, leveraging software as a service, leveraging the hyperscalers is a really key part to how we build these strategies now. There's a few things I wanted to touch on there. It was interesting that you said that, you know, organizations want to be out of the data center business effectively. And we see that a lot in conversations in workspace. They're moving for all manner of reasons and sustainability is just another one. Um, but it's interesting that Smithy used the phrase there, we, you know, we can help and we can do this and what we can do with technology. So, you know, without putting you on the spot, Smithy, you know, is there value for, uh, is there value from getting an MSP to help you here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get asked this a lot, especially in the cloud world, because customers are very used to now being able to go to some sort of marketplace and just buy what they want and spin it up themselves. Teams, you know, they're, they're circumnavigating their own organization inside and just going straight to the cloud and building, you know, application services and data silos themselves. Um, Really valid though, and the answer that I give then is the same answer that I'll give now. It's around knowledge, experience, and what's possible, and that we've got the opportunity and the privilege actually to work with multiple customers rather than just one organization, which typically only one organization would work with. Um, You know, I think if you look at the modern approach to how we consume and live our lives, everything's turning into a SaaS model, isn't it? You know, our, our phones, Netflix, cars, broadband, coffee subscriptions. Um, so, and and within that, you know, now I think if you look at most organizations, you know, a lot of organizations will go, well, I don't know if we're going to be multi-cloud, hybrid cloud. You know, I think they're just getting caught up in terminology. Pretty much every organization now is hybrid. The minute you start to introduce Microsoft 365, Teams, OneDrive for Business, SharePoint, you know, you're there in a hybrid world anyway, because you've got stuff that you're consuming outside of your typical data boundary and organization. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of customers now really trying to get to grips with what they want to do and what they are doing currently and the gap that's in the middle and then choosing the right platform to move or to continue to use uh, based on risk, features and cost. And and that is where an MSP and certainly, you know, we as Proact spend a lot of time helping organizations make these right decisions. And yeah, you know, cloud obviously comes into the equation. Um, but again, you know, there's numerous hurdles that stop customers adopting cloud because either they're not ready, they're not capable, they're not geared up, or they haven't got the knowledge. And again, you know, I think a lot of customers have certainly said to me, oh, we see cloud as our way to really reduce our carbon emissions, exit the data center quickly, and then actually reduce our costs over time. The trouble is, if you don't get the early parts of those planning right, and you work within the right guidelines, it's going to become expensive and you won't save any money. Yeah, you might have pushed your carbon emissions further down the line towards the hyperscalers, which then they won't acknowledge inside you know, their own figures or whatever that Handy just said, but you're not really solving the problem. So again, it's about working with the right vendors, working with the right suppliers, and we can help with that because you know we're doing our market research and our due diligence to make sure that we're acting responsibly by working with vendors that have a similar mindset. Um, And again, it's about having a plan and they might start with some really simple stuff. It should be, you know, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to dispose of the hardware when the, when the time is right, when we're finished with it? 
how do we extend what we've already got, but still stay efficient and still stay, you know, keep our user experience or our digital employee experience really aligned to the business goals to help people achieve success uh, and you know the responsibility for you know how do we how do we reuse and refurbish so i think you know all of that is bundled into probably probably the biggest change for an organization which is customers are very used to capexing they're buying with cash they're buying with budget i think in order to get the most and be the most flexible and have some sustainability options you've really got to move to a more opex based model whereby you can grow and shrink you can consume at the right time you've just got that utility model that you can switch off when you don't need it or you or when you need it you you spin it up and actually burst if that's if that's what you actually want to do so i think but again that's not a straightforward question that's an organization really understanding how their whole organization works as a business rather than necessarily just IT and technology. And I think from uh, from what I've seen, that is where the sustainability officers, the heads of procurement now are changing the approach to, to hit those net zero goals. You can't just buy five years of stuff up front. Lots of businesses still are, public sector in particular, are very wed to that. But it is changing, um, but but a little bit slowly. But I think that, that is only going to accelerate And just to touch on a a point there you made around the public cloud side of things, I always think that businesses moving just to the public cloud for a sustainability goal, it's almost like exporting. We got called out in the UK a few years ago for exporting all of our rubbish to, I can't remember, China or somewhere. And I always think of it like that. If you don't sort out your own house first, you're just exporting all of that rubbish into the public cloud. Yes, it'll be more sustainable. You might achieve percentage differences, but... If you don't sort it out first and, and reduce what you're using in the first place, those savings are, are going to be tiny compared to what could actually be achieved. It, it seems a very simple thing, but, but I see something with organisations where they move to OPEX and just the fact that it's a per month bill is quite eye-opening to them, the amount they spend per month. CapEx can sometimes get hidden away. With OPEX, they see it as a month and you know there are questions asked as to why it's so expensive. It does. It drives that behaviour then, doesn't it? It's like, I need to need to shave some money off this month. We need to be more profitable as a business. And seeing that monthly bill, that, that becomes a, a key focus. So it drives the right behaviours. And I think a lot of what we're doing at the moment is is educating customers, uh, educating ourselves because the, uh, the the regulations and the rules and things are all changing. But it's all about just just driving that that behaviour of, of everyone across across an organisation. It can't be done in isolation. It can't just be done with the IT team. Obviously, they're a major consumer, but it's got to be everyone's got to be joined up. Just just on the point that Smithy raised around, you know, the change to, from capex to opex and where we can help. I think sometimes capex drives an apathy as well. Once it's once it's spent, we can't really impact or or materially change what's been done. So. We'll look at it in X number of years. Whereas OPEX, if we can help you on an OPEX journey, we can change the value on a month-by-month basis, and that will obviously feed into some sustainability messaging. So I think it, it's back to the value of the MSP. You know, I, I hope just listening to the likes of uh, Smithy and Halo here, there, there really is value in what, what we provide, I think. I think it's a great message. And I think back to your greenwashing, I think it's a very measured mes- message is what we're, we're talking about. Um, so we've... We've been on a bit of a journey there. I don't think we're going to fix it all in one podcast. Um, but I think, Andy, is there anything you know that we could point organisations to in the short term that can help them with their journey? I mean, other than we'll be giving your email addresses out. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, 
I guess the the one thing we did ourselves, so we, we were looking internally, how do we demonstrate the savings that we're making to customers, both from a cost and a, and a carbon saving? And we built a, a very simple sort of Excel-based sort of calculator like most of these things uh, sort of turn into. But as we started playing this out, we started talking to the customers about we could make a 30% saving by switching to a managed data center provider. We could make a, a 20% saving by optimizing your storage plot. Form and then we could make a, another, I don't know, maybe even more saving by changing your storage platform. People wanted to see the metrics. So what we did, we fed this into the calculator and our, our wonderful marketing team have made that look really shiny and pretty and turned my Excel into something that's more web-based and, and looks like a, a three-year-old hasn't uh, hasn't developed it, which which is which is really good. So we've we've published this online now, and it's it's not designed to be a scientific calculator by any means. It uses data sheet figures, but it's designed to uh, give an indication of what-if scenarios. What if you move through an old data center to a new? What if... I moved a storage platform from hard disk to um, to all flash storage. What if I reduce my server estate? So that's how it's designed. So it's designed really to give people an indication of the savings that we would see them making and then give a percentage to what difference that would make to the net zero targets of their organization. So we'll we'll post a link to the to the calculator in the uh, in the in the podcast notes at the end of this. But but yeah, that that's that's been quite quite uh, quite useful for us, but also very useful for our customers that we're we're giving out now. And we can do obviously more detailed assessments and more scientific based measurements. But as a as a first point of call, then that's that's typically where we point people to. And I take it if people are you know are seeing what what they like from that calculator and they've got questions, they can reach out to us. I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a two way street. This um, we're not declaring that we're the experts in in this by any means. So. The feedback we're getting from our customer conversations is shaping our own thoughts. It's shaping some of the metrics that we use, uh, and and really shaping them where we feel that we can be most useful to our customers. And the one thing that that Andy mentioned earlier about scope one, two, and three emissions, because we are in the supply chain of a lot of our customers, and we are measured our own scope three emissions are measured what we sell and what is our downstream supply chain. So. By helping our customers, we also help our own scope three emissions. So it's not all about helping customers. We also help our own businesses uh, sort of uh, scope three emissions as well by selling more sustainable equipment, doing the right thing. And of course, from our own um, sort of early careers programs, our graduates are looking to us to what are we doing as a business? And and that, again, just, just helps us attract the right talent. As a topic, I can imagine it changes almost on a day-to-day basis. Are you happy if if there is any fundamental changes that we invite you back for a further podcast? Yeah, absolutely. That's good. I'd like to thank you both for presenting today, and I'd like to thank our listeners for taking the time to listen to us. Thank you. Thank you.